Folks, welcome to episode 234 of the Alo Auto Podcast, brought to you by the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. This is your host, Jared Thomas, joined as always by my co-host, Adrian Bermudez. Adrian, it's the end of the regular season. It's my personal chance to take a deep breath, exhale, try to get my life back on a regular schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ate a salad for lunch today, so I'm like really, you know, getting out of football mode where I just eat whatever I wow. want, don't exercise. How are you doing, man? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm holding up well. You know, it's sad not having another game of football to look forward to at the end of this week. Mm-hmm. That extra game, that conference championship game that we've grown so accustomed to as Roadrunners fans, but it's okay. It's okay. And I, and I agree with the big sigh of relief that always tends to come with the end of a football season, good or bad. It always comes with a big sigh of relief. So happy to be experiencing that. Absolutely. Yeah, I was talking to my wife um, at lunch yesterday, and we just like both realized that neither of us had any plans for this weekend. Like none whatsoever. No football game to cover. No work event. Nothing. Just completely chilling. Maybe watch some of these championship games on TV. Uh, but they don't have much to stress about other than maybe uh, the head coaching status of the alma mater could be a concern. <laughs> which we'll get into mm-hmm. later in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I feel I feel nice and relaxed and, you know, a disappointing game there in New Orleans against Tulane. Um, wasn't too far off from my expectations as far as like final score goes. Like I I, I felt from the offseason forward um, that this was Tulane's game to lose. And I thought that they would have a similar season to what they ended up having. Um, but I think just the manner that UTSA lost was um, pretty, I guess, tough to swallow. Um, just those turnovers are really brutal. That's what hurts, Jared. More than anything else, it's it's seeing such a great team with such a great legacy play their final, you know, regular season, extremely meaningful contest to a degree, right? You still have a bowl game. But to go out the way that they went out, which which was really flat and just not playing together, they didn't have it. They didn't have that special mm-hmm. something that exclamation point that this team usually plays with there on a on a gloomy day in New Orleans. You know, Tulane comes out in the all-black unis, and UTSA, despite more offensive yards, more first downs, longer time of possession, less penalties committed, gets more or less shut down, I think, for lack of a better word, with only 10 points of offense through 58 and a half minutes of football, the first 58 and a half mm-hmm. minutes of football. And, uh, you know, you start the game off with with back-to-back interceptions from Frank Harris on their first two offensive possessions. And I think that sort of just set the tone for what the day was going to look like for the Roadrunners. It was going to be just a rough day where where it, it wasn't clicking. Yeah, it's a shame that UTSA has this um, tendency to not show up in these like kind of prime spotlight games or should call them these big national broadcasts against ranked opponents. And I don't know what it is. I think there's probably several factors to it, but you know, I, I had a lot of like neighbors and friends and stuff that knew that I was traveling to new Orleans for this game. They saw it was on ABC and they tuned into it. And then they were like, Oh man, I, I thought you guys had more of a chance or whatever. Uh, so it's, it's tough, man. You, you get a very, as a G5 program, you get a very limited number of those chances on the national stage to kind of capture um, that casual audience. And for whatever reason, UTSA just never really seems to deliver on that. 
Um, even those conference championships, those games were on CBS Sports, so not a whole lot of people saw them. <laughs> uh, Jared, definitely, Jared, not, not, definitely not a casual football fan. Pause. I really appreciate you bringing this up so early in the podcast. I appreciate you making it a priority topic to address because it is critical at this point to note that UTSA has just come out, and this felt exactly like that once again, falling flat on a national stage as sort of they always do. And it's brutal. I mean, it's absolutely brutal. It's not the fact that we lose every time we're on a four-letter or in this case, three-letter network and nationally broadcast cable syndicated, or in this case, with an antenna, you could have watched the Roadrunners. I mean, antenna game. We have, yeah, we're, 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 we're we copywriting have, that phrase. <laughs> we have eyes from coast to coast, man. More eyes than we ever, ever have. It's not the fact that we lose, but the fact that we just look completely flat, mm -hmm. unorganized, unprepared, and just getting our asses kicked in front of the whole country. And it just makes everyone be able to say, you know, they haven't played anybody. It's just a fluky right. team. Yeah, they've right. won a lot of games, but it, what does it really matter? This team never looks good when the country's watching. And it sucks. Mm -hmm. It really sucks, but it's a fact of the matter. And and this year, you know, it used to happen once every couple of years. This started happening once a year or two. And, and now this year it happened three times. True. So Houston in the very first game of the season. Army just a couple of weeks after that. At home, mind you. And then in Tulane with big stakes on the table. In the regular season finale on ABC on Black Friday. So it sucks. It just sucks to to go zero and three and 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 you know uh, not very competitive football on the national landscape. Man, it sucks. Yeah, the, the flow of the game was weird. I felt like obviously from like not even the first snap, really. Like UTSA had a negative ten yard kickoff return to start the game, false start, first play from scrimmage, and then they get yeah. Yep, I don't yep, know if yep, it was second yep. or third down, but um, you know Frank threw a slant route to Cephas and. I'm going to butcher his name, uh, their safety Pedalishow or Pedalishow, something like that. Made a great play on the ball. The other safety was right there to grab it. And it's just like, damn, Tulane didn't even receive the kickoff and they're already in the red zone, like 50 seconds into this game. And cool. throughout the rest of the game, I mean, sitting there in the stands at Yuleman Stadium, really just felt like UTSA was getting their ass kicked. Like I felt like Tulane was just a much better team. Then I went back and rewatched it with a better viewing angle, um, less emotional outlook on the game, looked at some of the advanced stats, and it's like, man, it really was just the turnovers because Tulane's offense didn't play that well either. UTSA's defense was was pretty great. Um, so I think even with like three turnovers, UTSA could have won this game even though they didn't play their best. And it, it's just a brutal way to lose. A lot of those turnovers I felt like were not um, I, I guess like massive mistakes from UTSA, like Robert Henry's, he had great ball security on that. He had both arms over the ball. He had it high and tight. Just a super lucky angle from that two lane defender to somehow find a way to pop that ball out. Just a really, really like freakish turnover. Um, then that first interception that Frank threw, I mean, that was not a bad ball, just a great play from the safety no, and not they got lucky. Ball, the no. ball popped right to where it needed to go for them to get an interception. Mm -hmm. You throw that ball 95% of the time and it does not turn into an interception. So like those two and, were pretty fluky. I think if you take those two away, UTS has got a real shot to win this one. Well, they had a real opportunity in the world, you know, and, and it's hard to get off on that sort of foot and, and kind of regain your composure. 
you know, you have a false start, you throw an interception. In between those two plays, Kaborian Barnes' first run from scrimmage was was four-yard gain against this really menacing rushing defense. It was like a good sign there. And then you have the pick, and you kind of get deflated. But before even the second pick, UTSA was moving the chains downfield. UTSA had gone seven plays, and maybe we'd only gained 20 or 30 yards, but we had had a couple of first downs, mm-hmm. moving the ball. It seemed like, okay, we'll shake off that first pick. It was kind of fluky. So forget about it. Frank is going to forget about it. And then we had one that was a little more egregious right after that. But what happens? We get the strip sack. We recover on a 30-yard line. We're right there in front of the end zone. And we score a touchdown to make it a tie game. But there was something that always felt uncomfortable despite us getting so many chances and opportunities. UTSA goes up 10-7. to Even then, it didn't really feel comfortable because we just couldn't quite click. There was a lot of offensive lulls, man, for a really, really long time. And um, that was just – it was hard to watch. But, you know, Jared, again, you gain more yards on offense. You commit, you know, more turnovers. But you have less penalties. You have a longer time of possession. But – you move the ball, despite moving the ball downfield with more tur- uh, first downs, you have the turnovers. You can't punch it into the end zone. You can't get those plays to go. You have a couple of really bad fourth down attempts that'll go your way. It's really, I think, just one of those days where where I, I don't think Tulane was that much better than UTSA. And I think you got to give the Tulane credit defense. But I think just as much as Tulane's defense is very good, I think UTSA did not play very well as far as finishing their drives. And uh, look, this UTSA team isn't that bad. I think maybe that's what sucks the most about these national landscape games. When we don't play well, we know this UTSA team is a lot better than what they showed. I kind of go back and forth on, you know, how much better Tulane was than UTSA. Sitting there in the stadium, I thought Tulane was way better. I mean, I just thought like they had way more dudes than, than we had. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think like UTSA's offensive line was way outmatched. I, I think like they have kind of skated by for the past, like what, seven weeks, uh, with this like retooled offensive line where you, you have a center playing right tackle and you've got a guard playing left tackle. You've got a sophomore starting center. You got another sophomore next to him at guard. Um, the other guard. Solid player, but there's not an all-conference player on that offensive line right now. Not even close. I think some of those guys can develop to that level. Um, But you got a lot of dudes playing that position. And it's a Conference USA offensive line. And I think it showed in that matchup against Tulane's defensive line more than anything else on the field. And that's why it was like so sluggish for UTSA on offense. um, Because that offensive line never was able to control the line of scrimmage effectively. And if you go back and you look at some of UTSA's biggest plays of the game, even in the run game, the offensive line were missing blocks on a lot of those plays, but the running back or, or Frank or whoever, you know, found a way to make it work and get that big yardage. But I think to me, that was the big eye opener. I think we would have seen the same thing if UTSA would have played SMU. Memphis, I don't know. Um, but that to me was like the big wake up call of like, man, there's still a lot of work to be done to get this offensive line to the level um, where you can feel comfortable going into a conference championship game. And knowing that you've got the dudes to hold off some of the best defensive linemen in the conference. And that's why you've also seen a lot of offers go out these past couple of days to Juco offensive linemen 
to p- transfer portal guys because they're like I said, I think there's a lot of work to be done and um it it, it probably came later in the season than expected that that realization would kick in, but that, that was a big takeaway for me. Um, it, was just, it was so hard to have a steady tempo because that offensive line just kept getting beat, missed assignments, penalties. And it's hard to win like that. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. There was a lot. There were a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of mistakes. If we look just there in that first half on its own, um, you've got a Kavorian Barnes fumble. You've got Frank Harris's two interceptions. You've got him taking an enormous, enormous sack on a third down that was in a field goal position. Mm-hmm. I think knocked mm-hmm. him out of it. Yeah. And um, that, uh, real quick, that second interception, if you go back and watch that play, Vinley Tatafu missed a blitzer, left him unmarked. Frank Harris left the mm-hmm. pocket, forced him to float that rush throw. The two lane defensive end was following, I think, Robert Henry, Kavorian Barnes on a wheel route drops off of the coverage, comes down to cover that pass and picks it off. It's like, damn, that's tough. You got to give Tulane a lot of credit for those kind of plays. Well, you know, but but it's a laundry list of mistakes when when you look at stuff like that. There's a mm-hmm. there's a defensive pass interference when Tulane has their backup quarterback in. On the fourth, there's a there's a, a horrendous fake punt call with three minutes uh, left in the first half at midfield. Direct snap to Oscar Cardenas. You had Rashad Wisdom get mossed on the sideline on mm-hmm. a really deep ball. This all happened in the first half. Yep. These, this laundry list that we're naming off. And there's like six or seven individual guys making mistakes uh, that this it's just too many mistakes for you to sustain momentum or to even get momentum in the first place, despite out gaining and outperforming them with your offense. It's not going to happen. And it's not winning football. You don't deserve to win when you make that many mistakes. You but can get no, away with all that stuff when, when you're playing, you know, South Florida, Oof. Rice, you know, these less talented teams. But Tulane can go blow for blow. And and like I said in the preview, they've got a lot of guys that would start over UTSA's counterpart, you know, on our roster. Um, so when you're making those mental mistakes, man, it's just too good of a team. They're a championship team. They've been through the ringer for two years now. They know the drill. It's tough, man. We let's, uh, let's talk about that fake punt that you mentioned. <laughs> we got to go into that fake punt. We got to go into that fake punt. So there's three minutes left in the first half. Uh, what was it? It was like uh, it was a fourth down already, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fourth down. Yeah. You did say it was down by I think two scores already at that time. It's fourth and five from the UTSA forty-three with a minute. And 50 seconds, almost two minutes left in the in the half, in the first oh, half. Brutal. Which, mind you, Tulane's going to get the ball first coming mm-hmm. out in the mm-hmm. second half. Okay. There's a direct snap on this fourth and five to Oscar Cardenas, who throws the third UTSA interception of the day, of the first half, with... Under the most complete, ridiculous Ringling Brothers circus Olay call I've ever seen in my life. It was a moment that Jared, after that whole laundry list of mistakes that we're naming here with, you know, Wisdom getting mossed, Warren Barnes fumble, Frank Harris back-to-back throws, uh, the defensive pass interference. You have this whole laundry list, and that kind of caps it off as the clock is winding down. It It was such a moment that felt that this team was completely 
unrecognizable, completely unrecognizable. And pretty embarrassing moment on ABC. I would say that was the low of the low mm-hmm. watching this team perform on a national broadcast. Definitely. Thank goodness I wasn't watching that with any loved ones or any family affiliated or, or outside of UTSA for that matter. We look like boneheads at that their moment. Come playing elementary playground backyard play and uh and and forget it look this is the same thing that happened going into the halftime that joshua cephas threw that interception on a on on a flea flicker fake reverse whatever it was same situation where you know people like to make the argument well if that play works no one's making a big deal i think that's a bunch of crap because the second that ball gets snapped to oscar cardenas and he's backing up. I mean, me and I think a lot of other Roadrunner fans are, are screaming expletives at the television off the bat before the ball even gets intercepted. It's a horrendous call. Stop making excuses for it. It's a horrendous call. Horrendous. It's one thing to go with a fake punt on fourth and five from your own 43-yard line or whatever it was. But the design of the play was also really, really bad. I mean... Not only are you going to ask a tight end to make a throw, you're going to ask a 280-pound tight end to roll out and make a throw like 20 yards downfield on the run. Like this play had no chance. It honestly, even even if Tulane didn't cover, I think it was McEwen was the targeted receiver. Even if they didn't cover him, I don't think Oscar is going to make that throw. It's probably going to be incomplete, anyways. Like it was ugly, man. Really ugly stuff. Getting way too cute. My explanation in my head is like Jeff was like, we need to get a score before the half. So then they're going to get the ball coming out. And even if they score again, we can still keep it close. But you can't let yourself get caught up in like chasing points like that. You got to do the right call situationally from any down and distance. Right. And if you want to go for it in fourth and five, just leave Frank Harris on the field. (laughs) You know, it wasn't midfield. It wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world to go for it. Like he's gone more aggressively on fourth down before. Um, especially when the defense was playing as well as they had, I, to me, that would be a more justifiable decision to just go for it straight up than to uh, attempt this crazy fake punt that just really had no chance of getting off the ground. It's 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 really, really bad, man, because this team is just rolling downhill with, with the wheels off, literally rolling downhill with absolutely no no way to fix it, no way to get it better. Frank Harris starts off with the two interceptions. That's far from the worst moment of this first half. Oh, the man, whole entire <laughs> the whole entire first half just continues on this decline. Tulane scores 16 unanswered points hmm. to end the first half with a 13-point lead on just, you know, in, 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 in just – 14 second quarter minutes, to be honest with you, is whenever they score that entire 16 points. It's all in the second quarter. And, and the, like, shame, the shame of it all to me is the defense played a great game. I really uh, felt like an amazing defensive effort went to waste in this fair. performance, right? I mean, how many short fields did they have to work with? I, I don't think the score is indicative of how well the defense played, you know, looking at the advanced analytics, Tulane's offense did not perform well at all. And I think that's really, you know, due to how strong the Roadrunners defense was. Um, and especially impressive when you consider the fact that they pretty much neutralized Trey Moore. I think he only had like one big impact play. Uh, he, he was essentially a non-factor as far as production goes. Obviously, the plan 
around where he was going to be on the field. They had to give him his due respect and all of that. Uh, but I thought Jamal Licken played an absolutely brilliant game. I thought some of the players in the secondary played really well. Um, the interior of the defensive line was solid for the most part. There are a couple of plays where I think Tulane got UTSA stuck in like uh, pass rush personnel, and then they were able to punish them and, and kind of run down their throats, you know. But overall, I thought it was really, really great. Um, main complaint for me is, you know, you mentioned the play where Rashad got mossed on. Uh, that To me, that was a failure. You know, whether it's just left or the players on the field having to adjust, but there's there's no situation where you should have a five foot nine safety covering a six foot five receiver. Like that, that was a huge issue. Um, and you know, credit to Michael Pratt because he saw that pre-snap. Like he saw, I think Owen PB uh showed that he was gonna blitz, and then Pratt just immediately said, All right, we're gonna take the top off. I see that guy the matchup here, let's go get it. Um, so impressive from from Pratt there, but um, yeah, we don't you don't ever want to be in that situation where you're asking a guy to have to defend a player that has such a massive, you know, physical difference over them. Right. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, there was a, there was a moment there where I think you're a hundred percent correct that the, the defense can only give you so many chances and, and this defense gave, this offense, a lot of chances. Frank Harris, after one of his best career performances of all time with six touchdowns in the Alamo Dome just last week, had, I think, one of his worst career games for UTSA going on the road against Tulane. I mean, he just didn't look good throwing the ball in general. And then there's even a point, Jared, where they show a very stressed and defeated-looking Jeff Trailer on the sideline. Oh, man, his, his sideline demeanor was really rough. I've only I had, seen I that sideline demeanor from him a couple of times. Yeah, I had friends messaging me during the game. They're like, man, Jeff looks like he's about to cry over there on the sideline. So then when I went to rewatch the game when I got home, I was like really paying attention to it. I was like, man, it looks like someone put his dog down, dude. It was it was rough. It was really bad, man. Really bad. I think he expected more from his team. They expected more from this team. And, uh, you know, this team still had a lot to play for. I know that in the past, We've had our things to say about how this team performs in regular season finales. But granted, those occurred with, you know, a, a conference championship appearance already secured and having something to play for the next week. This one felt like they had a little bit more. You wanted to see this team just be able to achieve on offense and, and they could never find it. They could never get it going. And then that, and that was really reflective. I think only two or three times can I recall seeing Jeff trailer look visibly sort of done yeah. on the sideline. And then that happened kind of early in the game to be yeah. honest with you. So I uh, listened to another podcast and they were making the argument that the USA players and coaches were distracted by all the rumors of Jeff trailer interviewing at other schools. Do you, do you put any stock into that argument? I'm sorry, repeat it one more time. Oh, I, I was listening to another podcast and they made the argument that UTSA played so poorly because the players and coaches were distracted by all the rumors of Jeff Trailer interviewing for their jobs. Do you, do you put any stock into that argument? Oh my gosh, man. You know, I, 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 I really don't feel like I can. I don't think I can put a lot of stock in that argument. Yeah, I'm the same way. Actually. I'm going to say no, because this is a class that is majority fifth year starters of group of 18 guys that's graduating mm -hmm. completely done playing with the program they're done these guys aren't going to play college football 
for UTSA or for anywhere for that matter next year. They're done. They're literally done with their collegiate football careers. What do they care if Jeff Trailer is going to go somewhere else to coach football? And uh, I don't know. I just can't see it having a big effect on locker room. The rumors were really swirling, I think, a lot louder last week going into the senior appreciation game, a senior night against USF. True. They played really, really well in that game. They were striding, one of the best offensive performances we've seen from them. Didn't seem to matter at all. This game you're going against Tulane, I mean, weather didn't seem to be too much of an issue. Tulane isn't a big, crazy road trip. You know, New Orleans is is, is close, right? Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I can't put too much stock into that. I'm not going to let that be an excuse for this team. Yeah, I agree. I Like you said, they're a veteran team. This is for the majority of the roster. It's not the first or even second time they've gone through this experience of trailers name being linked to other jobs and interviewing or whatever. Um, and also, I don't, I don't think UTSA came in with like a bad game plan or anything like that. Like, I don't think they didn't prepare for Tulane. I just think Tulane is a damn good team. And I think too many people within the fan base and nationally looked way too much into the score differentials and Tulane's wins leading up to this game. And then compare that to the score differentials for UTSA and AAC play heading into this game. Um, I I more firmly believe the theory that Tulane let off the gas intentionally over these mm-hmm. last couple of weeks, and they were holding out guys that were mostly healthy and probably could have played if they needed to. Um, we're keeping the playbook vanilla and all that stuff, and then Tulane just they freaking turn it on for UTSA, man. Load they were they're ready to roll. Management. So yeah, I mean, I, I think for the most part, I think they got off on the, on a on poor footing just by bad luck and good play from Tulane. And they weren't able to overcome that because they are not a vastly more talented team than Tulane. If anything, I would argue that they're a less talented team than Tulane. Um, and that just caught up to them. But it's always it's always nice to have some easy answer when things don't go the right way. But life is rarely that simple and straightforward. Well, look, I think UTSA made a lot of mistakes. And they didn't play winning football by way of committing too many turnovers committing some really crucial penalties, making some pretty poor play calls. And that's not to take away anything from Tulane's strength, but this is this UTSA team is better than what they showed the world on Black Friday. Yeah, I can can agree with that. Yeah. And I think that that is the case in most instances when this team goes on national television and loses is that they are rarely as bad as they project themselves to be on that national broadcast. They're usually a better team than how they play whenever we have a cable syndicated game. It really sucks, but it is what it is. And it's not to take anything away from Tulane, but I know this UTSA team could have given them a better run for their money. They weren't fired on all cylinders. And, you know, more so than I think you could argue that it's the trailer's rumor mill in the coaching carousel. Could you argue that it's a bunch of guys that are at the tail end of their football playing career. I've already won a whole lot. I, mean, I don't know, Jared, you know, I, I, is there, is the fire to go in there and play a perfect game against Tulane still there? I'd rather hear someone make that argument than the coaching carousel argument. Not to say that either one's correct. Um, I'd probably say they're both wrong, but I'll more so entertain that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a theory that I I've heard outside the podcast that we've never talked about is like the um, conceited is not the right word. Um, 
I, like, I have heard some opinions from fans that are like, these seniors have already accomplished so much. They don't have the same hunger and appetite that a team that hasn't won big is going to bring to the table. Um, and that's interesting. I mean, it's really hard to disprove that one way or the other. Um, I think there's probably some truth to it. I mean, what is it called when a, when an NBA player comes back for one more season, like Paul Pierce or whatever comes back and he's like just getting everyone's jerseys at the end of the games and like selling out defenses on tour or whatever. But yes, one of yeah. those. Like, is there just is there eighteen guys, fifteen guys on this roster that are very important to this roster that are just you know they're on their victory lap? I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I'll also say if that is the case, then that's kind of on the younger players to outperform those guys and beat them out and i don't mm. i don't think we really saw that too much this year no sure maybe in a yeah. couple positions but you know i don't know it's interesting there's maybe maybe uh many years from now we'll have some former player on the podcast and they'll, they'll give us their take uh because it's kind of interesting getting some of these like wilson era guys on the podcast and they pretty much say like yeah the chemistry in the locker room was terrible people quit people weren't focused whatever so who knows maybe one day we'll get the truth now, would you be okay with having an argument about this team, uh, for lack of a better word, once again, choking on national stages? Is this now something that's like a trend for long enough of a time, be it, uh, be it you know, historically or just under Jeff Trailer? Is this team just, you know, embarrassed on a, on a large national spotlight or this team incapable of going up on ESPN or ESPN two or ABC and winning a football game against an impressive team in front of a national audience. I'm trying to choose my words very carefully and deliberately here. I don't think choke is the right word. I think that the way that UTSA is built from a roster perspective and from like a coaching schematic style perspective they're built to beat up on bad teams and they do a damn good job of that. But when they run into a team that is as talented, if not more talented than them and have just as good coaching, if not better coaching than them, the plan kind of falls apart. Right. So I think if you go back and you look at these losses, like Tulane, Willie Fritz is probably going to be the head coach of Houston or somewhere else next year. Uh, Shield Wood, defensive coordinator, Definitely moving up, whether he follows Fritz to his next job or stays at Tulane, you know, goes to Power Five, whatever. He's got a really bright career ahead of him. Um, you know, San Diego State, a lot of those guys moved on to better jobs. I know things kind of fell apart for Brady Hoke there, uh, but that was a really talented team. A lot of those guys went on to the NFL and stuff. And um, losing Lafayette, you know, Napier went to Florida and took a lot of those coaches with him, a lot of those players with them. Um, so I think if you go back and you look at these teams that UTSA has lost to, it seems like you like really can't be ashamed of losing to them because they're really great teams and great players and great coaches. But I just don't think that UTSA is accustomed and built to compete against those kind of programs, right? They, they've been feasting on these lower levels of competition. Um, and they I don't think they do a good job of adjusting when they kind of hit that next level, like top of the G5, power five kind of programs. And so what do you think the reason is, though, is that just because we don't play those caliber teams often enough? No, I think that UTSA still has a lot of work to be done in the talent perspective, right? We don't have the horses yet. Yeah, we don't have the horse. We have the horses to beat out the 
you know, the temples of the world and, and stuff like that, right? Like our, our, middle of the pack. Ta- yeah. yeah, our talent gives us an edge, right? Like a lot of times those guys don't have someone that can cover a Zakari Franklin. They don't have someone that can tackle a Keyboard Barnes. They don't have someone that can block a Trey Moore. But when you move up a level of competition and they have the studs that can compete and take away those top players, and then you don't have the depth. I, dude, there was a play in the fourth quarter for UTSA where the three receivers that were out there on fourth down, oh. it was like a walk-on, a true freshman that was playing quarterback at North Shore High School last year, and mm-hmm. yeah. someone else. I mean, the depth really, really got challenged in this game. Um, but when you play these tough teams, that's what's going to happen, right? So it's not something I'm concerned about as a fan. Like, I, I've never freaked out really about these losses. It's disappointing. I want to win them, obviously. But building a program takes time, right? And if you look at what this program was before Jeff Trailer got here, they continue to make strides, right? I, like, I really believe, like, the UTSA of last year, the year before that, would have got beat just as badly by Tulane, if not worse. And I really like a lot of this young talent that's coming in. So I think it's going to get there. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, it, it takes time. And I, I just think when you have an extreme matchup advantage, it's easy to take advantage of it when you're playing a bad team, but you're not going to have that. And it really comes down to X's and O's and depth when you get up to that next level. There's a degrees, a, a degrees of separation of talent between a top end of the pack in the AAC team, like a Tulane, mm-hmm. like a Memphis, probably SMU this year, at least. Yeah. Versus the middle of the pack team, like, UAB, UTSA, FAU, and 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 that's and even UTSA might be a degree or two better than those schools, sure. but it's not yeah. quite to the same degree as a Tulane quite yet. Yeah, and honestly, I think UTSA got lucky. The AAC was really weak this year. We'll probably do a podcast about it in the offseason. Um, but I think the loss to Houston. And the loss to Army are like the kind of losses that I expect to pop up in conference play, but they didn't pop up because these teams weren't that good. <laughs> um, in Houston and Army weren't that good either. I mean, the only explanation for that for me is is Frank wasn't ready to roll. I think Justin Burke wasn't ready to roll. It took some time for them to find their rhythm and, and get things, you know, situated and and happen, you know, play good football, essentially. Um so the record for the season ended up being almost exactly what I predicted, if not exactly what I predicted. It just didn't play out the way that I thought because I thought the AAC was going to be better. And I yeah. thought that a lot of these issues that we saw against Tulane were going to be popping up week by week um, throughout conference play and didn't happen all that, all that often. Yep. Yep. Well, Adrian, I do want to yeah, talk a little bit up. about my experience traveling to Tulane since it's the first time UTC has played mm. there. Okay. Yes. The trip to the 504, NOLA, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that Jared and I both are very, very privy, big admirers of the city of New Orleans and not just Bourbon Street, French Quarter, college hygiene shenanigans, but we are both, I like to at least, you know, to say to a, to a degree well-versed in the other neighborhoods and happenings, the other districts of NOLA. You know, I mean, we've been through the Irish Channel. We're familiar with Uptown. We know Metairie. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you might catch us 
over in Algiers one time. So just watch out. Oh, he's stretching and, it now, folks. That's and big uh, stretch, big stretch. and uh, yeah, I would love to hear. I would love to hear. So yeah, big shout out to Tulane. Very, very excited to have that as a destination uh, on UTSA's uh, trip as a traveling mm-hmm. fan base. Jared, uh, tell tell traveling road runners what they can do whenever they whenever they visit Tulane next time. Well, I, I'm not going to focus too much on like traveling to New Orleans. I feel like most people that listen have been to New Orleans before. Um, and there's a ton of resources out there about what to do when you're in New Orleans. But uh, campus is in Uptown, which it, it has a, an Alamo Heights kind of feel to it. I, I, I was talking to a podcast listener. I forgot who it was. And they made that comparison. Like this area really feels a lot like Alamo Heights, which I always thought was spot on. Um, so we uh, we had a little impromptu UTSA meetup at the boot. You know, I think I mentioned it on the Patreon episode last week. And that was awesome. We took over that bar for quite a while. Like the Tulane fans kind of retook control uh, closer to kickoff. But for a good while, it was a straight up UTSA bar uh, to the effect that uh, my wife watched a guy walk into the bar and be like, what the heck? I didn't know I came to a UTSA party. And he walked out and left, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> Just like the cheapest <laughs> drinks. Cheapest drinks I've seen since college. It was absolutely insane. They had like $6 triple shot wells or something like that. I mean, <laughs> just crazy. Uh, so that was a good time. Meeting up with a bunch of UTSA fans there and, and throwing it down at a really cheap bar. And then uh, walked over to campus. Didn't see a whole lot of tailgating with it being Thanksgiving weekend. You know, their, uh, their student base is very, very little of them are from Louisiana. So most of them are, you know, back home in the Midwest or Northeast or Florida, wherever they may be from. Um, so I think like the game day atmosphere on campus wasn't like too exciting. I, I'm sure there's a part that I didn't find that probably had a lot more going on, but just the route that I walked, um, like there was this big empty quad. There's like, oh man, that's a perfect tailgating spot. And there's like nothing going on in it. Uh, so that was, you know, a little bit disappointing, but thankfully the fans did turn out. It was a really good crowd, not a sellout, but close to it. Um, Yolman Stadium is okay. a nice stadium, man. Nice stadium. There, there's a lot of conversation amongst UTSA fans in the stadium of like, if UTSA were to build an on-campus stadium, what would it look like this? Like, how would we change it? Which I was glad to hear people kind of starting to think about that. Cause like there will come a day that UTSA has to build a stadium, right? Like I want to stay in the Alamo Dome as long as we possibly can, as long as it's feasible, but there will come a point in time where it's a necessity, right? Um, so I think that kind of got the gears spinning for a lot of fans and, you know, it's a nice modern stadium. The concourses were fairly spacious, better than a lot of stadiums I've been to. Um, the food was awesome. They had like local restaurants that had little vendor shops there. Um, like that dog is a really well-known hot dog gourmet hot dog place in New Orleans. So you could get their hot dogs there for really cheap, um, cheap beer, good beer. I mean, it was, it was a really good experience. Um, they pipe in a lot of noise, which doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people like like to poo poo on that, but I I mean I have no problem with it. I I, I think it adds to the atmosphere. Um, UTSA traveled really well. I would I probably like over under a thousand UTSA fans, which is I think really respectable on a Friday and eight hours from campus for UTSA. It's easy to forget. Um, what else? Uh, two lane fans would get loud on third down. And I had read on Twitter where Tulane fans are kind of having this debate about standing up during the game. And I guess a lot of their fans wow. don't support that. <laughs> uh, and I guess UTSA fans were standing up and Tulane fans were fighting them because they were like blocking Oh, oh yeah, it's very, very, very rude whenever you go. You got to keep in mind, uh, Tulane is building their football culture as we speak. 
they have a hundred plus year old program, but they don't have a hundred plus year old football culture. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully yeah, they get we- that addressed, right? It's I think it's really crucial that fans are passionate, engaged, stand up and cheer. Um, and crucial plays, obviously, but I think all throughout the game is great. Well, we talked about that same exact thing a lot with with Maddie last week going into this about Tulane being very, very old historically and having a really long football record, a long football history. But the culture actually really just taking hold very, very recently. They're kind of on this experiencing the same upward tra- trajectory at the same time UTSA is. There's a little bit of a parallel there, which is really right. cool. Um, right. So, you know, these these two completely different programs, one with 12, 13 seasons of history, one with 100 and whatever odd. And they're kind of both experiencing expansion and growth same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Tulane, I thought uh, I thought Yulman Stadium looked really nice on the broadcast. Capacity is 30,000, opened September 2014. Full construction cost $75 million for Yulman Stadium. I don't know what that would be taking inflation into consideration in 2023 dollars. Yeah, I, I think it would be like triple that right now. Triple? You think it yeah. be, you think it'd be 200 M's? I don't know. It would, it would be a lot higher. And not only is it inflation, your construction cost for everything has gone way up outside of regular inflation. Like I think Snapdragon stadium for San Diego state was like a hundred oh, sorry, I bit my tongue, $180 million. And I think it's bigger than Yulman stadium, but I think Yulman stadium is nicer. Alamo yeah. dome forever, baby. We got a and lot, the, we got a lot of things we need to spend money on before. I'm some, you just have me thinking about like, okay, so then what does that do to like the cost of my season tickets? Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely nuked with less amenities around me for them. I mean, it yeah, just be, be brutal. Tough, no AC. Oh my god, man! Only real negatives I would have for the experience was like exiting the stadium was really bad. Like it seemed like there was only one exit open for the whole stadium, so like all the concourses were super congested leaving. Um, and then once you exit the stadium, like campus is just in the middle of a residential neighborhood. So leaving the area was really tough. Uh, we had to walk, um, I would say like a good 15, 20 minutes to even get to the point where we would realistically even be able to get picked up by an Uber. And then of course we had to wait, you know, another 15, 20 minutes. Uh, but I think, I mean, that's fairly normal, I guess. Um, I was thinking they're like trolley, like streetcar thing would like run near campus, but it wasn't at all. Like it would have been like, probably like a 20, 30 minute walk. Um, and it didn't take us close to where we're going. So that would have been nice, but overall really great experience. And, you know, I, I hope that these two teams continue to uh, be members of the same conference and, and play each other regularly. Cause it was a really, really fun trip. Um, and it was fun going out on bourbon street and meeting up with some roadrunners out there and throwing back some drinks, uh, smoking some cars, eating some oysters and had a great time. I'm really, really glad to hear that you had a successful trip despite UTSA really, really getting worked. Um, it was, no, a little, it was easier for me to swallow the loss just cause I did. I've been expecting it for so long. Like I'd watched so much Tulane football last year. Like I really knew what we were getting ourselves into. So when we came out, how the performance we did, it was disappointing, but it didn't, it didn't kill my vibe at all. You know, last point, you said something earlier talking about your new Orleans trip or before your new Orleans trip about those 
programs like a Tulane at that upper echelon, they're going to have the guys that can stop a really, really good, a really heavy ball carrier like a Kavorian Barnes. You're going to have those guys that can read those passes that leave Frank Harris's hand just a little bit the other way, right? Or those 50-50 jump balls, not quite as 50-50 as they are against other teams. There's a moment there in the the end of the ball game. UTSA is down two scores, but we score that that last. There's a minute and a half left in the game. We score that last touchdown. There's a chance we can keep it a one possession ball game. Go for the outside kick and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. We got to get the two point conversion, and we hand the ball off to Kavorian Barnes, <laughs> and it's a one v one. He gets yep. stopped. Oklahoma drill, birdcage drill. Yep. He gets stood up. Stop. The pop comes through audibly through the television broadcast. It's loud. It's hefty. I mean, stopped in his tracks. This is the same Kavorian Barnes that dragged a pile of defenders into the end zone against uh, UNT just a couple of weeks prior. And man, dude, that that right there, that moment was uh, was really striking. And you can sort of tell. Hey, I'm glad you brought that at a play different up. level. You're playing at a different I, I, level. I really wanted to bring that up earlier, and I completely forgot. How jealous of you were you watching Tulane's inside linebackers, Tyler Grubbs and Jesus Machado? Oh, man. Uh, man, both of those guys would be some of the best linebackers in program history if they were UTSA. And, and Jamal Ligon had a great game, but those guys compared to Martavius French, Avery Morris, I think there's there's a big, big gap. I think both of those guys were really, really strong, had great games. Just goes to show, man, there's work to be done. Work to be done. A lot of work to be done. This team, uh, uh, you know, more or less blew it out there against Tulane. But, Jared, whenever we reflect on the 2023 football season, highly successful, the UTSA Roadrunners had to deal with a lot of adversity. Showed you this team was built with a hell of a lot of toughness. Being able to weather a one and three storm, come back, win seven games straight. Um, we got to reach that next level of competition. But it's good to know that we've sort of dominated the current level that we're at, and yeah. we're at least on route to take that next step. I'm really, really proud of this team, the era of football that they've delivered to us. Sucks to go out on that note, but it's not over yet, Jared. You are going to get a bowl game with the same team. One more chance at history. For this UTSA football team, for this Frank Harris Roadrunners team, one more chance in history to get the program's very first bowl win. God dang it! And we can we can avenge this day that was in Tulane on Black Friday. So you know, Godspeed. Let's go. Birds up. Yep. So before we jump over and talk about some of the other topics for this podcast, uh, namely Jeff Trailer's employment status. Do want to give a quick shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Had a new subscriber this week, Maddie Hudak, actually came on the podcast and then actually subscribed to Patreon. Shout out to Maddie. Didn't get a chance to meet her in person, which was unfortunate. Uh, but the Patreon chat loves Maddie. I mean, I, we were getting so many messages in the Patreon chat, like Maddie's the best. That was awesome. Great episode and all of that. Uh, so hopefully she jumps on the app and, and sees that. So thank you, Maddie, for joining us uh, both on the pod and on Patreon. Thanks for keeping up with the Roadrunners. And thank you to our Board of Trustees members, Digitique, John Alwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rowdy Tailgating, Gary and Rupin represent the UTSA Burgang Tailgate, Ray Redding and Mimi Peril, Brandon Crail and the Grail Realty Group, Andy Elizada at Proficient Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Padron, Ryan Squares, Waterman Construction, Javon Townsend, VP of the DFW Chapter of the UTSA Alumni Association, and UTSA Annual Giving. 
So thank you guys all so much. We're going to hit a quick Kumi break and we're going to come back and talk about the juicy stuff. Adrian, much to cover, much to cover. Jeff Trailer's name continues to swirl around the coaching carousel like a puff of cigarette smoke that you just can't get out of the room. Dale, that name just floating out in the air. Every single opening that becomes available. Hell, openings that aren't even available. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I follow an Oklahoma fan who just has been drilling into Baylor for not hiring <laughs> Jeff Trailer, And I'm like, damn, they're not even open. Dude. <laughs> so when we were last talking about this exact same topic last week, it was all about the A&M Aggie job, which has been filled by Mike Elko. It is not Jeff Trailer. However, since then, the university of Houston has fired head coach Dana Holgerson and Jeff Trailer's name is immediately in the mix. Yes. The same Houston Cougars that he is 0-2 against in competition. I don't know, Jared. I don't know if I can see Jeff Trailer being a real candidate for Tillman Fertitta in the Houston Cougars based on your ball team losing to theirs, losing. How, how can you hire yeah. a guy that the guy that you just fired beat twice? Mm -hmm. If I'm a Cougar fan, I am vehemently against Jeff trailer. feels like a step down. Yeah, it's been, there's a wide array of opinions and emotions on trailer within the U of H fan base, which has been pretty fascinating to me. Um, they're, I think the beat writer ran a poll that was like Jeff trailer, Willie Fritz, Gary Patterson, other, and Jeff trailer won that poll, but by like 2%, like it was like pretty distributed across all the candidates. And then I was spending some time on their message board today. And there were some pretty intense debates going back and forth with people, um, you know, having that same criticism of trailer that you just had while others were kind of presenting the counter side of it. It's like, well, if he had Houston's roster, you know, and the resources, he probably would have won those games easily. Uh, if he was in that seat on that side of the field, which who knows, you know, it's it's easy to make up those scenarios with no evidence to prove one way or the other. But I mean, overall, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I mean, I, right now I see a trailer as like a fallback option for Houston. Um, all indications that I've seen is Willie Fritz is their guy, right? And because he's playing for a conference championship game this week, I don't think that that announcement's going to come until Saturday. Mm -hmm. Um I think that he's probably in the lead. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Tulane actually lost their athletic director recently. Yep. And uh, Fritz was really close with the AD. Like that AD got him that extension. He brought him to New Orleans, I believe. And then he was really close with the deputy AD who like runs football. He's like the football AD or whatever. And Fritz like really publicly stumped for that guy to get the AD job. 
they didn't give it to him. They went hired an outsider. And I think that was the beginning of the end for Willie Fritz at Tulane. We'll see how things shake out, obviously. But it does sound like Tulane is going to have a massive counteroffer for Fritz. Um, I read one tweet that said they're, they're willing to go up to four and a half million, I think, an annual salary for Fritz, uh, which would be crazy. Uh, it's like almost double what Trailer made this year. Uh, you know, a lot more investment into uh, the assistance salary pool. Mm. So we'll see. Uh, but I, I could see Fritz more ready to move on this year than he was last year when Georgia Tech offered him. I think Houston's probably a better job than Georgia Tech, too. I don't know. Maybe it's debatable. But um, I mean, I think Trailer is definitely in it at Houston. I, I do believe that he's interviewed for sure. But I don't know. Um, trailer has that $7 million buyout, too. And I, it sounds like U of H had to stretch to fire Dana. Uh, they had to pay him like $300,000 a month or something crazy like that. <laughs> so that's a lot of money that they're taking up. And then of course they got to pay, you know, 7 million for the buyout. Do they have a, is Fertitta or another booster willing to help out with that payment to get Jeff trailer when they could get Willie Fritz who just beat him, you know, in a play in game and beat him handily last week has better better recruiting rankings i think for the last couple of years um and crucially uh has not lost to dana holgerson at u of h i also do believe that there anytime there's like it's really obvious who the candidates are on twitter and stuff there's always like shadow candidates that are not getting publicly mentioned and i'm sure that's the case at, at houston as well i think this is a really great humbling for old jeff trailer who was just as recently as a season and a half ago, getting flown out to West Texas, Lubbock, on private airline jet plane, baby. And now you're getting beat out for what well, you're getting beat out by a guy that you lost to for a job that is open that you're not really eligible for because the guy that you have to replace, you lost to. So lost to Willie Fritz, lost to Dana Holgerson. I mean, that's kind of like a little piece of humble pie for Jeff Trailer. Is it kind of a kick in the ass for Jeff mm-hmm. Trailer to to know, hey, look, there's there's stuff that I've got to improve on, and we've got to win at the next level here at UTSA before I'm really considered a legitimate candidate for one of these other positions. Um, because we if haven't he, done that here yet. If he beat Houston Army this year, he probably got the AM job. I mean, uh, maybe that's still a stretch. He definitely would have been the candidate at Houston. It'd be a done deal, right? So even with two losses to Houston, or I'm sorry, if he if if he if he beats an army or two lane, even with two losses to Houston, do you think he's the the shoe in to replace Dana if he's 0-2 against him? Maybe. Like is it, maybe. I'm not sure. But if he's one and one against him, yeah, I think so. If the if he yeah. you know loses in two overtimes last season and then he beats him this year in mm-hmm. Houston, mm-hmm. come on. And then it still yeah. has the same conference success that he had in the AAC. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that you can watch the Army loss or the Houston loss and be like, oh, it's because Jeff Taylor didn't have enough resources available to him at UTSA. Like if you watch those football games, it was not a depth problem. Uh it was not a recruiting problem, I don't think. I think you just say matched quite favorably. In all of those areas, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's, I think that's really the hard thing, you know. Over these last few years, bro. I mean, if you go and you pull the footage, if, if anyone, if any NFL scout or if any 
collegiate front office administrative department athletics department likes to or, or would like to look at the film from u of h army tulane troy i mean those are all really really ugly ugly losses and these are the games that are against upper echelon teams mm-hmm. on national broadcasts uh, we didn't even go to the bowl game what is the other bowl game besides troy san diego san diego state yeah and then then uh, louisiana lafayette and then against louisiana lafayette okay so god that's like six seven louisiana lafayette troy san diego state army tulane U of H. That's not a small sample size, buddy. That's six games. That is supposed what's, to be upper uh, end G5. What, what's the signature win of, of Jeff Trailer that you can really sell to big money boosters at a power five school? Beating Illinois. Beating Illinois, beating Memphis. The comeback against Memphis is pretty juicy. <laughs> That's not going to move the needle, man. But beating Illinois is your most significant win. And if you stack that, if you stack those two wins against those six losses that I just named, mm-hmm. Brutal. Teams don't fire a coach and then pay a new coach a massive buyout to beat bad teams. They're looking for signature wins, and Jeff Trailer just hasn't had enough at UTSA. Hasn't had enough. I think that most U- UTSA fans would trade that walk-off 100 places field goal against Memphis for a bowl win. Because yeah. if you think Maybe. about it, that game had no bearing on UTSA winning a conference championship that season. Also, that game had no bearing on UTSA going undefeated because they did it. We did go undefeated. <laughs> so what's the difference right. between 11-1 and 10-2, but you still win CUSA? And give me one of these three bowl losses over the last three seasons, you know, and trade for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd take that 10 times out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, it's kind of a shame for, for Jeff's part because, like, real ball knowers know – that he's done a great job here at UTSA. He's accomplished things here that no one else ever has. Like he's built this right. program, um, elevated to such a level. But I think it's a lot harder to sell that to another program than I beat a ranked, you know, two lane team, played for a conference championship. You know, I beat a ranked SMU and won a conference championship. You know, I beat a number 24 San Diego State in a bowl game to get my 13th win of the year, whatever, you know. Number 19, Troy, or whatever they were. Right, yeah, right, I mean, exactly. You know, a ranked team in a bowl, significant bowl win, a, a, a landscape win on national television. You know, we mm-hmm. we 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 update, we we upset the Longhorns in, in a crazy, ridiculous, you know, trick play filled fourth quarter in Austin, our first trip there. You know, you gotta get you gotta give me something that's just un- yeah. Unprecedented for your program yeah. to do, you know, and we don't have that unprecedented win, I don't think. And right, I agree. I mean, we'll see what what happens with Houston. I'm not going to be shocked if he gets that offer and takes it. Uh, but I think UTSA might look out, you know, with with Baylor not opening, with them choosing to keep Dave Aranta, with Arkansas mm-hmm. not opening, and them choosing to run it back with Sam Pittman. You know, UTSA might have looked out here. We we might have trailer for a while now, and then. Yeah. You know, maybe those jobs open next year, but, you know, Trailer's got to do, if he stays, he's got to do a great job, you know, rebuilding after losing a bunch of seniors and losing Frank Harris uh, to a point where he's going to be enticing to those programs again. And I don't know if winning seven, eight games is going to cut it, right? He's got to sustain the winning. He's got to replace. He's got to rehaul. 
But yeah, I think UTSA does look out here. I have a hard time seeing him getting the Houston offer in contrast to your theory. I don't think he's going to get it. If he did, I think it'd be because they didn't get who they wanted. I've got to think that Jeff Trailer is closer to a third option for Houston, second mm-hmm. or third. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Jeff Trailer has done a hell of a job here. We wanted mm-hmm. to be here for as long as we can hold on to him, despite yep. what. Yep. You know, fans, listeners, I, I agree. He himself. I, I know. Think. Yeah. I know from a fan perspective, it's, it's frustrating to like lose these big games and then you're asked to give and give and give and give and give, but it's mutually beneficial to all parties, man, because look at the progress that the athletic department has made. Like since Jeff has gotten here, it's because he's had, he's had a standard, he's had demands and we can't take that for granted. We got to keep meeting him where he's at as much as physically possible. Like, UTSA doesn't have infinite resources. The booster pool certainly doesn't have infinite resources. There are very few schools that have infinite resources. Everywhere you go, with the exception of maybe 10 schools in America, you're going to be behind in a rat race and you're always chasing it. And that's a good place to be, right? That is how you achieve and sustain success, which is very hard to do in college football, especially the group of five level. Um, So I hope UTSA fans can kind of separate the emotion of it with like the realization that I think all parties are doing what they should be doing throughout the situation, right? That UTSA is saying, you know, we're going to add $2 million to to staff budget, you know, outside of just the assistant coaching pool uh, to get nutritionists, recruiting staff, you know, academic advisors, increased pay for compliance, all that kind of stuff. Um, And that, and and again, this is another debate that is frequently had within the UTSA fan base those positions help the other sports much more than like giving an extra, extra hundred thousand dollars to a defensive mm-hmm. coordinator or something like that. So, yep. so keep that in mind. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. We've got to, we've got to do a lot. We've got to take a lot of steps infrastructure wise. We've got to take steps still competition wise. We've got to get to that next mm-hmm. field. Jeff trailer has got to win at that next level. You know, I know there's a lot of argument that can be made about the the, the overall record of, of UTSA's wins, you know, the opponents that they've yeah. beaten over these last couple of seasons. So there's still work to do. There's still work to yeah, do. And, and and keep in mind, I, I've seen some tweets where people were like, man, it really sucks that I'm giving as much as I can to RAF and to NIL collectives, and it still feels like we're going to lose Jeff Trailer. You can't think of it as like, I'm doing this to keep Jeff here. You got to think of it as I'm doing this to build my alma mater or my favorite university's football program. Because Can I rephrase it? Can I rephrase it? Make it a little simpler? Yes, please. I'm not doing it to keep. I'm not doing it to keep Jeff here. I'm doing it to keep the standard. Yes, the standard that Jeff's brought in. Jeff's standard. You know, you call it that. We're we're donating to keep that that level of competition, of buy-in, of spirit that's what you're donating towards because there's always going to be turnover and you want to have turnover. That means UTSA is kicking a lot of ass on the football field. It is so much easier to go out and get some hot shot power five coordinator, some up and coming G five coach, FCS coach or whatever. When you're replacing a guy that had a lot of success that raised the standard that raised the budget uh, versus like, if you're having to replace a coach that had, you know, five wins over the past two seasons. And if this if this position comes open and the administration can go to candidates and be like, here's where we're at. Our budget's $50 million for athletics. We've increased it by what 50% in the past five, six years and have plans to continue to increase it. 
we're nearing completion of fundraising for a athletic pavilion for the football team. We've got one and a half million dollars in our NIL collectives to give out to players to keep them here and recruit new players here. That's a sweet spot, man. And you're in San Antonio. You're the only football show in town. You've got a rabid fan base. You're averaging just under 30,000 fans a game. You're at a good conference. We're on TV all the time. Yep. That's where you want to be, man. This program is bigger than one coach. And I think people are afraid to allow themselves to believe that. And I, I totally understand it. But as a fan base, as a school, as an administration, we got to keep on this path that we're on with or without Jeff. And, and Jeff knows that too. And that's why yep. Jeff is making these demands and he's floating stuff out to certain people in the media to, to spread those things uh, because it's going to benefit everyone, right? Whether he's the coach mm -hmm. or not. Well said. Well stated. I think that's all that well needs stated. to be said on the topic. We'll come back. Obviously, news will continue Let's to drop. Let's hope we keep him. Fingers crossed. Birds up. Let's hope we keep him. Yeah. For another season or two. Yeah, man. Absolutely. It might just be written in UTSA's cards that Jeff Taylor's got a couple more stones to lay on his foundation of, of UTSA's, you know, columns. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Yep. Pillars. All right. Uh, yeah. So we spoke about the bowl game a little bit. We will find out UTSA's bowl destination probably for sure on Sunday evening is usually how these yes. things go. But mm -hmm. UTSA did finish third in the conference. Um, they got the computer ranking bump above Memphis. Um, so that is probably going to put UTSA in a position where the bowl games that they're more likely to be selected for are like the Fenway Bowl in Boston, the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, uh, maybe the Birmingham Bowl. A little bit of a bump up from some of the bowl games that were in Conference USA. Um, I think people are starting to realize that the bowl tie-ins for the AC are like really not that much better than Conference USA. Uh, life is hard as a group of five program, no matter what level you're at in that. Win. But I think with UTSA getting that third place finish, they might get a little bit better bowl than we're used to. So that's good. Mm -hmm. I will okay. say big caveat this year is really weird for the bowls. Um, the Sun Belt got 12 teams in. Obviously, they don't have that many bowl tie-ins as a conference. So they're going to have to really shuffle around some of those assignments with other conferences and, and place different schools and different bowls than the uh, conference tie-ins would uh, lead you to believe at the beginning of the season. So I would say be very, very, very wary of taking any bowl projections you see as gospel because the mm. truth is it's going to be really, really random. This year, you also have Jacksonville State and JMU getting in uh, on an, exem an exemption this year. They were not supposed to be allowed to be bowl eligible this year, but there weren't enough teams eligible without them. Uh, wow. So that shakes things up as well. So expect wow. a little chaos on Sunday. What uh, I don't feel like uh, bowl projections are ever very spot on. No, maybe they're not. Just, maybe that's just me. Yeah, but. Yeah, that's 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 amazing that JMU is able to get that exception. You know, UTSA was in that exact same predicament once upon totally. a time. Totally. I don't know that we ever asked for an exception. I don't know that we would have got one if we did, but it's, well, it's fascinating we, to see. We, I mean, it just have, feels like progress. It feels like yeah, progress. Right. We didn't know, have that opportunity for, because there were there were enough bowl teams to fill all the bowls that year. So sure. Mm. Um, yeah, we didn't petition to be able to play for New Year's Six Bowl. Like that. That was so stupid. Also, we, one win away. That, but... <laughs> we were one win away from playing in a conference title game. Right. 
Um, what kind of bowl would you prefer? Like here, let me give you, let me give you three options. Um, you can get wow. any bowl against a power five opponent. And, and I think any power five opponent UTC is going to get is going to be beatable. You can get a great travel destination for the team. Mm-hmm. Or you could get something local that the fans can travel to. And you've got a great crowd to send off Frank Harris, Rashad Wisdom, and the rest of these seniors. Which of those three is most enticing to you? I got to be honest with you, dude. I really quickly was like sick and tired and not a fan of the narrative of just give us a bad team in the bowl. We just need our first bowl win. You know, like oh, that's I, hated how I, am. The first, <laughs> I hated the first time I heard it. Yeah, I hated it every time that I heard it repeated throughout the entire season. Now, and it's not because we lost Tulane. I'm almost like, yeah, give that to me. I just want <laughs> to win a goddamn bowl. Look, dude, in 20 years, <laughs> someone goes back and looks at the first bowl win in, in program history. They're not going to be like, oh, whoa, pump the brakes, buddy. Like, South Alabama wasn't actually that good that year like no one's sure care. yeah yeah no, like, no let's just cares. get the monkey off our back listen these guys nobody out. cares Positive nobody note. cares nobody cares the destination is cool we played local bowls so many times it kind of feels like yeah. you know you, you want to have a, a bigger one a better destination than that I'm, I'm not crazy about it i would like i prefer to have a respectable opponent so not bottom of the barrel but i also don't want you know a top 10 ranked team i prefer to have a respectable opponent could be the upper upper end of the rankings, you know. Give me give me 50, uh, twenty through twenty five, fifteen through twenty five. At a at a cool location, at a fun location. Mm-hmm. I've got enough. I've got enough proof in Roadrunner traveling Roadrunner fans' consensus uh, that they will show up big time, no matter what the destination is. Sure, I'd like for it to be a good one. I don't want just some bad team. I want a team that still people get kind of excited for and that passerbys say, oh, UTSA is playing so-and-so in their bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. People can still get excited for it and it's still a respectable one. My, my pick know. would still be like the worst possible bowl team. I think like Old Dominion got in last week. Like uh-huh. I'm all for uh-huh. that. Because, uh, you know, I just want to win a bowl. I want that to stop being a talking point. Um, But no, like jokes aside, I I would love like a semi-regional matchup with a power five opponent. So if we got like the Liberty Bowl or the Birmingham Bowl matched up against a a six win power five program uh, from like the ACC or the Big 12 or something like that, I'll I'll be happy camper Um, because it'd be a nice additional highlight game for those guys. Hopefully a winnable one, uh, but not too far away. That would be a huge burden for people to travel to. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Well, last note, Transfer Portal opens next week. You've already seen some guys declare their intention to enter the Transfer Portal. None from UTSA just yet. Uh, we definitely will have players enter the portal. Just going to have to wait and see if there are any impact players. Is there anyone that you're particularly worried about hopping into the portal? I can see Eddie Lee Marburger going into the portal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I would I would say that's probably what I'm worried about with a with a quarterback room becoming thinner. The year mm-hmm. that we are moving into the next phase after Frank, right? There's there's BF and then there's AF. So this will be the after <laughs> Frank era for uh-huh. UTSA football, and we've got to see who the next Messiah is. It's going to carry that torch to be UTSA's offensive captain to be the quarterback, and 
I think it's got to be a competition. I don't know if that guy's on the roster yet. I think it's going to be Owen McGowan uh, up against, you know, whichever transfer transfer portal guy that UTSA mm-hmm. brings in, uh, maybe two of them that he's going to have to battle against, and, and the best man will win out the starting position. I would love Eddie Lee Marbury to be a part of that competition. And God dang it, he's been in that quarterback room competition for so many years. It would be a shame for him to just leave it. But I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of saw the writing on the wall. Owen gets the backup spot over him in a couple of games, even down into the end of the season. I don't know, man. If I'm Owen, I'm probably about ready to to put my name in and and go get a good starting spot somewhere else. If you're Owen, I'm sorry. If if I'm Eddie Lee, oh Eddie, so and uh, yeah, and so I I I can't blame him for it. So yeah, yeah, I think Eddie Lee Marbury is the guy to transfer. Yeah, yeah, you definitely can't hold anything against Eddie if he chooses to enter the portal. I'm the same as you. I want him to stick here and compete. And even if he doesn't win the starting spot, I love him as a backup. Uh, but I will say UTRGV back home in the Valley needs a starting quarterback and they start the practice season next year. Oh, I, I'd be so happy for him if he did that. Visa, baby. Um, I think Trey Moore, obviously, is, there's a concern there. I personally think that he's going to get a good NFL draft grade and go into the yeah. draft. Yeah. But if not, they're going to come calling for sure. The P5 NIL money is going to have to come out. Yeah, he can he can get him a bag for sure. Rumor to have already been offered that last year, but I think he's proved himself at UTSA. And, I, you know, I think it would be a much tougher decision for him to make this year if he needs to. Hey, Frank Harris's six figures got to go somewhere, baby. Yeah, dude. You make that offer I, to Trey Moore. You make, I, you make I, Yeah, I, I agree. He's a right local kid. Now. Right now, you don't even wait. You don't even wait yeah. for that. You don't even wait yeah. for that. You get city fans, NIL, whoever the hell, PM group. <laughs> you get everyone together. You say, okay, look, Frank Harris's NIL salary, you know, or whatever is going to run out this month. We want to transfer that contract over to Trey Moore. Everybody mm-hmm. handshake deal. Mm-hmm. You make him a presentation. You take him out to Bohannon's, you know, before <laughs> the bowl game. You take before the bowl game, you take him out to Bohannon's, Jeff Trailer. We sit down, you make him the offer. Man, do you try to get the signature that night at dinner? Yeah, one of uh, NC State's top receivers, I think like their rumors got out that he was planning to enter the portal. And then uh, NC State's NIL collective signed him to a 2024 contract like two days later. So it can be done. It can be done. There aren't any other guys that I'm like super paranoid about leaving. Um, I think like some guys like OMP, we have, have showed a lot, but I don't know if the power fives are going to come calling for them. That's one of the, like the beautiful things of UTSA rotating so much is I think it prevents dudes from getting like really gaudy stats that are going to get them noticed by the teams that are doing the tampering. Sure. Maybe that's not even me. I guess we'll see. All right, Asian, we'll go ahead and wrap it up, man. A lot going on. A lot more to come. Before we leave, I want to say thank you to our big money donors, Ben Tovar, The Bunch Family, Zach Esprit on the San Antonio Podcast Network, Alejandro Benavides, Dan Nerdhall, host of Around the Birdbath. Great hanging out with you in New Orleans. Jacob Glossos, board president for the UTC Alumni Association, Maddie and Mandy, Jenna and Andy Ansadu, also great hanging out with you in New Orleans this weekend. Uh, Rick Ortiz of Ready Road Killers and Homefield Apparel, where you can use discount code UTSA once Homefield to get 15% off your first purchase. Thank you guys all so much for listening to episode 234. Be sure to follow us on all social media platforms. And we'll see you guys back next week uh, to talk about UTSA's bold destination and whatever else the new cycle throws at us.
you know what, Jared, can I say one thing as well? Yeah. Uh, just want to say thank you to everybody for another wonderful, fantastic UTSA Roadrunners football season. You know, it was a big season of a lot of new things and a lot of change for us here at the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we worked, we endured, we had a whole lot of support along the way. It was another great, wonderful, successful year for the podcast. And so big time, thank you. Hats off, much appreciation, much love to everyone that listens, supports, subscribes, tunes in, follows along, likes, retweets, all that jazz. Yeah, well said. Thanks, Adrian. I was going to save the the poetics until after the bowl game, but it's never too early, man. 